0: Welcome back to part two of the conversation between Kara Peterson and myself, where we continue our discussion about the development of the About Race podcast.
1: Here we go. If you so, so this, t- I came across this tweet recently. I know, I know, we're millennials, ha 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 <laughs> ha. ha.
0: Um,
1: but it's from Imani Gandhi, uh, Imani Gandhi, who actually does of all things a podcast called boom Lawyer and is also a, a writer and a, a correspondent for a lot of national news outlets but she says if you and the person of color you call your friend have never really talked about racism if that friend hasn't shared microaggressive experience with you and has never really explained to you what their life is like as a person of color then then you need to re-examine how you're being their friend because it's, you know what? It took me so long to find that damn tweet. <laughs> I forgot what I was gonna say. Oh, I remember now. I, th- I think this will be, I'll leave some space, but I think this will be sl- somewhat gracefully able to, to splice together. But yes, in a, in a setting like coffee hour or, you know, at a, a, at a Radix group get together or something like that. You, you can't really just start having that deep conversation or, or just pulling that sort of of thing out. It, it takes a lot of trust to open up those vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. talk about, you know, the time that I kept getting asked by one of my first grade teacher's aides what languages I really spoke at home after I said English, yeah. uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. And yeah. that I... and as michael has said earlier we're, def- we're we're our intention with this our intention with this is not to burn bridges or set fires or again if we wanted to complain about it we have facebook for that but no we want to produce a constructive conversation that helps people of color in our congregation and in the world feel heard but then can also serve as is also kind of a slice of life for our white parishioners to hear just, again, the, the microaggressions that build up after time. And, you know, my, my partner Dom always says he, he thinks about racism the same way he thinks about brushing his teeth, actually. You know, plaque builds up throughout the day, no matter what you do, unless you only drink water. And I think even then plaque would still build up a little bit. So at the end of the day you just take a little bit of time and you brush it away and he said when i started trying to examine the ways that i was was operating off of a a racist thought or something you know i'd stop and go you got to brush it away just like the plaque you know it's something that you have to address constantly
0: well you you had spoken of constructive conversations and I think that's a great connection to talking about the logo that we came up, that you came up with for this podcast.
1: The logo. So so as we were trying to come up with some of that branding, we thought what would be something that would make sure you knew it was from St. Mark's, but would also distinguish it from say the 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 main podcast or any of our other branding. And so jokingly, initially I thought, well, <laughs> We could have a raised fist over the rose window and so i drew this really silly little picture um i
0: i love <laughs> the idea but my, i have to admit it looks so it, know, it,
1: it looked a bit like um it looked a bit like an infected uh stump um over the the rose window which looked like a lopsided asterisk but at any rate i think the voice i, I think the point got across so um, but at any rate, uh, one of Michael's uh, friends was kind enough to put put my vision into something that people would actually want to look at. And and so she she took the St. Mark's branding that exists with the, the light purple and rose and lavendery colors of the rose window and put this fist that you see, that you see uh, with different skin tones across the fingers but with the darkest skin tone being across the main part of with the thumb and the palm of the hand. And uh Farah came up with that herself. I I think I just expected it either to be like just kind of like a blacked out like the color blacked out fist over it just to have the symbolism but I loved her addition of the colors because first of all it takes into account that you know when we talk about skin color first of all it's it's a really wide range and the fact that colors like red and yellow and even black to an extent although that has been reclaimed by black folks in America um, but yellow and red remain extremely problematic Mm -hmm. and and even as a result has sort of skewed the way in which people think about what is a darker skin tone. The fist encompasses a wide range of colors from very dark to very light. And it's meant to encompass the wide range of experiences that that people of color have across that spectrum.
0: I absolutely do want to give all credit in the world to Sara Vasquez for making that uh, logo. She's a great friend of mine a wonderful graphic designer. And the fact that she included so much uh, diversity in skin tone in how she, in the final depiction of the logo is perfect on so many levels. I mean, we're not a black church, and we can never pretend to be a black church. And of course, neither should we, but we have diversity in the cathedral. We have people from South Asia and Southeast Asia and East Asia and Different countries in Africa and uh, Hispanic countries and people from South America. And we need to hear them, certainly, but we also need to see them represented in that logo. Um, there's a, you know, Kara, you just mentioned the wide experiences that BIPOC people have. And that's what we want to bring out in this podcast that we do not have one single monolithic. BIPOC experience, even though there may not be that many of us. Uh, There are some people who were born and lived, uh, sorry, who were born and raised here in the United States. Many people like me who came as an adult immigrant, some who came as, who emigrated here as a child, uh, some who are refugees, and so many more combinations that I cannot even begin to address. And those stories need to be not just acute exotic thing that can be checked off a box, but they need to be part of our mosaic as St. Mark's, whatever those stories are, wherever they come from. And so I think showing the diversity in the logo is necessary for that. Not just necessary, it essential. creates so many conversations. It's essential. It's Thank essential. you for that. Well,
1: because uh, to that point too, if you don't mind this this little interjection, one of the questions that we were asked about this logo uh, when we were working with with the clergy and the vestry and the leadership to, to, to get going, uh, was, well, in fact, we're not a black church, so th- will this, you know, you know, make people irritated? Or, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized, well, we're not a black church, no, but there are people of color, and this logo may very well be the first time there's been any. Like specifically St. Mark's Cathedral branding that is made for and by people of color and have some ownership over what's otherwise a pretty white space. Which, once again, we wouldn't even be trying to do this if we didn't have full faith and confidence that our friends at St. Mark's would want to listen and learn and, and, help, and help in their community. That's to to listen and learn and help in their communities.
0: That's hugely important because there have been many people of color, many BIPOC people who have left the cathedral because they have not felt seen. They have not felt respected. And there are many others who have stayed and both are equally valid. Of course, we're not in a position where we can reach out to those who have left. and I certainly want to respect as much as we can that decision. But for the people who have continued to be a part of this community, who have continued to be a part of the Rose Window, symbolically, I want to find out what that's been like, too. I was having a conversation on social media of all places about this, that there are other churches in Seattle that are probably a little bit more ethnically diverse than ours. And for all the good things that St. Mark's offers, the liturgy, the inclusivity, the theology, the music there are probably some compelling reasons for people of color to look beyond and say, is there a church where there are more people who look like me? Is there a church where there are more people who share my my name? And yes, there probably are. But those people have continued to remain at St. Mark's, even throughout the experiences that they've had, throughout the concerns that they've had, they continue to be a part of our rose window. They continue to be a part of our mosaic. I want to find out what, what inspires them to do that. Um, and I'm certainly not saying that that makes them better than those who have left. I would never say that. Or that makes it better than the white people at St. Mark's who have, who have been here maybe longer than I've been alive. But there is a uniqueness in those BIPOC stories which we cannot afford to let go. We cannot afford for those stories not to be told, especially at a time like this, when since 2015, I think, this country has had such a reckoning with itself about the place of people of color, about the place of immigrants, about the, about the place of Native people. And yes, that 2015 era is over. But we cannot stop the work that we have been entrusted, I
1: don't think. No. And- frankly uh, as Episcopalians we we reaffirm this exact duty several times a year in the baptismal covenant where we commit to respecting and upholding and I would even like I I will change the baptismal vows no 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 but I do add for myself personally also amplifying those Mm. that need the most lifting up and same with the even the confession. If I may pull all of this back to liturgy, uh, in the confession we say, "You know, we we repent for things we have done or we have left undone," and it's it is prescribed in Christianity to lift the downtrodden and lift the voices that have not been lifted before, and so this is our this is our attempt to to start rectifying that.
0: I have to take a moment and say that that speaks to so much of why St. Mark's and the Episcopal Church and the Anglican tradition on the whole has been so important to me. I had never heard that articulated as well as I had before coming to St. Mark's. I think with all due respect to the other churches I attended before coming here, They all said some form of that. I mean, either as a part of a a liturgy or in the non-denominational churches, no liturgy, obviously, but they they certainly spoke to it in some form or the other. It was not until I came to St. Mark's that hearing it put so simply and clearly to respect the dignity of every human being, no caveats, no loopholes, nothing like that. But hearing that for the first time, and as you said, to, to repeatedly hear it at baptisms, on holy days, whatever, continually pulls this message forward that whether these human beings are people of color, whether they are LGBTQ people, whether they are people from a different socioeconomic class, in any conceivable category of human existence, our calling is to advocate for them, especially those who are Persecuted or oppressed or marginalized. Our calling is to, as you said, to amplify them. If they do not have the voice to use our position as Christians to give them that.
1: Am I going to get a call from Steve after this episode airs going, don't change the baptismal vows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think amplification would be a nice addition to it for the next time we revise the prayer book in 20 years.
0: Cross your fingers every time you say it. I think you'll be fine.
1: Click my heels a couple times, <laughs> or um, I don't know. Switch my surplus a couple times. We got to make it liturgical. Yes. Got to make it liturgical, right? Oh, we should probably add. We actually have included a document that Michael put together as part of our pre- presentation about the uh, to the vestry about our logo and some of the history behind the raised fist. Uh, so f- there's lots of examples from education associations, from uh, Japanese American citizens league, from Corey Bush, who is a house representative from St. Louis, Missouri, and um, <laughs> is, was elected last year and is doing a lot of good, good work. Um, so that, I also that will... want to
0: say that there are plenty of churches, including uh, traditionally and historically black churches, that are using the imagery of the raised fist. Uh, One of the concerns that we got was that the raised fist looks very confrontational, very aggressive. And I think that interpretation of it being a, a belligerent image is quite recent. And I say it's quite recent because historically it has been used more as a sign of solidarity, of strength, of unity. And that was what—that was how those historically Black churches used it. And even the Education Association, the Japanese American Citizens League, they're certainly not using the raised fist in their messaging to indicate any kind of aggression, to indicate any kind of societal disorder, but more as a rallying call for people who... Whether it's educators, whether it's Japanese Americans, or whether it's in respective churches, Black Christians, uh, to to unify behind that. And that's kind of how we are adding our take on that to the library of the historic and symbolic use of the raised fist. But yes, Sikara's point there. Uh, we will also upload. A document where we do go into more detail about this, specifically looking at examples of how faith-based groups and other uh, community organizations have used the Raised Fist. So one of the conversations we had with the clergy is what to do with um, these interviews. And I think this was Kara's idea, that after a set number of episodes, we have an interview with uh, the clergy, with Steve Thomason, with with Nancy Ross, with Jennifer King-Doherty, uh, with the understanding that they would have listened to all the episodes and that we can sit down with them and say, all right, how does this, what you heard, inform your anti-racism work at St. Mark's? How are you going to incorporate the things you've heard, things you felt listening to this in the next round of... Racial responsibility forums, or in whatever uh, clerical, pastoral, administrative decisions you want to make based on what you've heard. That became a really important goal for us because we don't want these interviews, and specifically, we don't want the stories in these interviews to exist in a vacuum. Okay, here's the channel for the BIPOC conversations. It's going to do its own thing, and the cathedral is going to do its own thing. That. It, that would be pointless and I think it, it just wouldn't accomplish a thing. But if we can merge what we're doing with the podcast, with what the cathedral is doing in anti-racism work, in dismantling white supremacy and confronting white privilege, that overlap is huge. And we can certainly see a possibility where these interviews are where these interviews become part of the work that the cathedral does.
1: Yeah. And that, that also serves as an integration because again, one of the things that many groups of color in particular have long wanted is a seat at the table. You know, Mm. it's not that any one culture necessarily wants to take over the world or anything like that. It's, we want to have an evil, even evil. (laughs) We want to have an even ground to have our conversations on. And so, Bringing the clergy who presently are, are all white, with the exception of our, our canon theologian, uh, to have them included in those conversations or in kind of anchored conversations throughout to, to gauge what Michael just described. I know that uh, Steve, in particular, has a really big commitment to being as transparent uh, of leadership as possible. And so we, Michael, and I felt that this was a good way to sort of engage that within the work that we wanted, and uh, certainly the clergy want to want to learn. And mm-hmm. So it's. I'm looking forward to that conversation, frankly. Not again, not not because I want to stick anyone in a corner, but yeah. I I'm just so curious to hear what their thoughts are. So.
0: And I, th- I think, at least for my part, and I'm sure. Kara, yeah, I'm sure Kara would echo this. We're certainly not doing this to, as she said, to throw them in a corner or to rip the rug under from their feet. But we're doing this because they are the pastoral leaders at St. Mark's. We've worked with Steve and Jennifer and Nancy closely on so many different things. In in different ways, I think we are close to them, professionally and appropriately, of course. And their opinion, their perspective, their leadership on this matters. We're not doing this uh, just to stick it to them. We're not doing this to make them look bad. But we are, as, as cliched as it sounds, I really do believe we are in this together. We're not at opposite ends of a spectrum here. Um, and this, I hope this is a way that all of us, uh, whether it's Kara and myself, whether it's the clergy, whether it's people listening, whoever, I hope that we can all use this. As as Kara said, we all have our own work to do. None of us is exempt from this work of anti-racism, even people of color. And so listening to these stories from people who we've never heard from before, who we may not know very well, but we hear that connection to their stories, I really hope that this pushes the conversation forward in a way that cannot happen if it's not BIPOC people doing it.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's... That's very well said, as always. <laughs> but I 100% agree. I, I'm not interested in doing any of this alone. That's not worth it. Mm, but yeah. I am interested in working with everyone and and learning about everyone and with each other and how how to coexist in God's world like this and to take care of it and take care of each other. So.
0: And we've talked about doing this with the clergy, but the thought came to us and I I think Kara started it and then the idea just took off that we can kind of roll this out on an even bigger scale. Um, And so we talked about what if we interviewed people across the diocese who are biracial indigenous people of color, uh, because they do- We would be remiss
1: if at this point, sorry. We would be remiss if at this point we didn't mention uh, the Circles of Color Ministries uh, that were started and spearheaded by uh, the Reverend Rachel Tabor Hamilton, uh, by the Reverend Carla Robinson.
0: Um, I think- Reverend Jerry Shigaki
1: as well, Yeah, it? Jerry Shigaki and, and Carlos- Polly Shigaki. Uh,
0: Reverend Polly Shigaki.
1: Yeah, and also Polly, uh, who have put together sort of support circles, as it were, for different ethnic groups. But- mm-hmm. There's also meetings with everyone together, where you know there's space to talk and and be with each other and all that sort of stuff. And uh, part of the logo uh, work actually was taking the logo to this wider group of the full circles of color ministries and asking what their thoughts on it were, and they 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 had very nice things to say about it. I I was I was really really happy didn't want to offend anyone right um but many of them expressed interest in at very minimum listening but there was also interest in also appearing in interviews in the future if if that comes about and also like maybe we could interview bishop reckel who knows (laughs) definitely definitely. (laughs) That would yeah.
0: be a blast. I had the the pleasure of interviewing Bishop Hall in April of 2020. Um, it was ideally meant to be an interview about Cathedral Day of that year. But obviously, that we were one month into the pandemic lockdown. We were a few days away from celebrating Easter with all the churches closed. And so that was a great conversation into what it means to be a diocese at a time of lockdown. And this was really before the Black Lives Matter protests took off. So that wasn't a part of our conversation. But we did talk in pretty good detail, I think, about what it meant to be a church network and a church community celebrating Easter apart. Uh, And I will always appreciate and respect how honest the bishop was that sometimes horrible things happen, but our duty as Christians is to keep moving forward through it. Sometimes Systemic racism happens sometimes, all the time. Systemic racism happens (laughs) all the time. Police brutality against people of color happens. But our job as Christians is to keep moving through that, not to ignore it, not to compartmentalize it, but I think to look it in the eye and to keep moving forward. And so, whenever the time comes, in whatever format it takes, I am eagerly looking forward to when Kara and I can sit down with the bishop with the experience of all these interviews with people at St. Mark's, with the clergy at St. Mark's, with people and clergy across the diocese to sit down with the bishop who hopefully would have listened to maybe a couple of episodes by that point and look him in the eye and say, all right, what do we do next? Um, bishop Rickle has spoken many times about the need to uh, elevate BIPOC voices, the need to confront white privilege and systemic racism, for which I'm very grateful to do, uh, sorry, for which I'm very grateful that he's doing, but the opportunity to sit down with him and to record a conversation, not to put any undue pressure on him this early in the process. But I think that would be a, a huge milestone for the work that we're trying to do not just for the Episcopalians at St. Mark's, not just for the Episcopalians, excuse me, not just for the BIPOC Episcopalians in St. Mark's, but for all the people in this region who are not white, but who still find a spiritual home in their Anglican, very white Episcopal churches. I think there will be a lot of voices coming to that conversation with the bishop. So, I have no idea when that will happen. I've no idea how that would happen, but for me that's a goal to work towards.
1: Certainly.
0: Honestly, I think that's a great note to end this on. Yeah. Um, I'm um, this has been absolutely wonderful to share this with everybody who is listening now, but honestly to sit down with Kara and to talk really for I think the first time in full and extensive detail, where it's not just emails, it's not just messages online, but to say the words out loud and to hear her words, how this got started, why we're doing this and where we're looking to go, this has been absolutely incredible. And I cannot thank Kara Peterson enough for <laughs> believing in this and for being so willing to do this from the very first moment that she and I reached out to each other. I think it was a kind of right around the time the pandemic set in and the quarantine set in. That's right. Were
1: say- we supposed to get lunch like, the day after the first Sunday, St. Mark's
0: closed. <laughs> I have a memory of that email writing to you and saying, "Well, evidently we're not going to meet up. Should we?" It was, talking it was anyway? like the
1: first day that the restaurants all had closed in Seattle, and we were like, "Well, I guess that's not happening. We'll come back in two weeks." And here we are, almost an entire year later. But oh, no. But to, to to draw back to that, I uh, you're welcome. But also. Thank you for, first of all, letting me sort of hijack part of your existing podcast uh, podcast structure, but also for helping me bounce ideas, putting some of my weird thoughts into actually eloquent sentences. And also, same thing, being willing to put in a lot of work to help some weird thought I had one day, but then seemed to make a lot of sense with a lot of us into motion and into something that i really hope can can help and open some eyes and and kind of help get an idea of how we might move forward as as bishop brickle says in the world but in a way that that is cognizant and respectful of as many people around us as possible so i and I would also, once again, be remiss if I didn't thank our dear clergy for, I, I understand that it, like, first of all, yes, from a very St. Mark's centric perspective, letting Kara go rogue with something is always a little bit scary. I do understand that. Let me be clear. But understanding that this time, this felt like something that could actually precipitate a shift and a shift that we all want to take and sort of know we all need to take together. And it's, it's scary to embark on something that has never really been done in a really solid way before, but on the same token, it's extremely exciting. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. Steve, Jen, Nancy, thank you. Thank you for, for your faith in me and Michael.
0: <laughs> and I think we should also mention uh, Christy Chapman, who was part of the clerical team at St. Mark's when this started. She's not with us anymore, but uh, we know she's listening. And we are very grateful to Christy for her support, as we are to Steve, to Nancy, to Jennifer. As you Thank said, Kara, this is a risk that they've taken. This is a risk we're all taking. But I don't think we can honestly look at ourselves in the mirror in the year 2021. And say that we shouldn't take that risk. Exactly. So many thanks, thanks to you, certainly, to my dear friend Sarah for creating the this incredible logo, which defines so well what we want to do with the clergy at St. Mark's, past and present. And honestly, to the people listening and to the people participating, um, this is an investment. This is not going to be over quickly. But to 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 finish this on the most corniest note I can imagine. We always say every week, even during the closure, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome at St. Mark's. That is 100% true. And I think wherever we are on this personal journey, hopefully everybody feels welcome to be at these conversations. All right. We will see all of you in our next episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.